1: Good morning, and welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspot Jackson.
2: And I'm Shannon Penrod, and glad to have my, my cohort I'm back.
1: glad to be back, Shannon. thrilled
2: that you're here. I know. And we got a big show, too. Yes, we do. Uh, we've got a very special guest that we both adore, yeah. Christina Adams, who is author of the new book, Camel Crazy. But before that, she was author of the book, A Real Boy, and that was really what brought me to CARD. Right. Um, that and the fact that I was given the book by a mom who was a card mom. Those a Real two... Boy
1: to me was one of the best books ever written right? on autism. Right.
2: Yeah. And, um, it like, it sort of became my autism Bible for Uh like a year. Right. Um, and like, I had that book with me so many places that it got like waterlogged and had stains all over it. And I went and bought a new one and then, you know, met a mom and I was like, oh, you got to read this book. Uh And so I've always had like a couple of copies of it around because then I give them away and then I never have any copies. Right. Uh, Yeah. I gave
1: it to a lot of people. I recommended it to all moms when their kids were newly diagnosed. Yeah, Uh,
2: I, I think it's a great book. And we've always said to her, when are you gonna write the sequel? Uh, to everything that happened after you left CARD, all of those things, and it's finally here. It's finally her journey
1: out. with the camels is truly amazing. Which
2: goes completely in a different direction, different direction. than how anybody ever thinks anything is yeah. going to be. But um, she's a remarkable woman. I, you know, I remember sitting and reading and, and seeing that she lived somewhere in Southern California, and I was like, I want to meet this right. woman. I want to meet her. I want to know her. I met
1: her at a and doctor's I, office where really? we both took our sons for early intervention, Dr. Michael Goldberg. She did his protocol for a while.
2: Well, and uh, it was years later for me, and I, they, there was a video that they had of her, and I was like, that's what she looks like. And I remember asking her to be on Autism Live in the very early days. I was uh-huh. like, well, I gotta have her on the show. And, and I was so nervous and excited and now I can, I consider her a friend. Yeah, I do too. Absolutely. And, and it's, I, am always like a little like, oh, look at me, friends with, uh, Christina Adams because yeah, she was such an icon to me. Yes. Uh, and such, and you know. And she hosts a segment on Autism Live. She, we, uh, we have a running, um, segment with her that, mm-hmm. uh, autism and beyond that yeah. we filmed with her, right. uh, that that's her, that's Christina. And, um, she's just a fascinating, yeah, fascinating she sure lady. is. I somebody can't wait I, to interview her surely, Yeah. Somebody that I surely respect. And you know, they say that there are, you know, when, when the student is ready, the teacher shows right. up and that you have many great teachers in your life, and I count her as one of my yeah, great teachers in my life. So uh, love that she's going to be here with us. And first, we have some news.
1: We have some in-the-news stories. Uh,
2: so show, first of all, you know, I love Spectrum News. Uh-huh. They have uh, some great articles. I respect articles. them, and we all, we, you know, a lot of times we'll refer to articles and send you over there, and I really think that they... Um, do a great job of covering um, news. Uh, So, you know, no offense to Spectrum News, but there is an article that is running right now with the title, the headline is Study Finds Thin Evidence for Early Autism Therapies. Uh, And I went, what? Right. I mean, how could that be be? that early intervention is Mm -hmm. not
1: effective? That just can't be. And it's a
2: bad title. Right. If you read the article, what it goes on to say is that basically there have been uh, two studies uh, that uh, that looked at, and they were meta-analysis. So a meta-analysis is when... You're not doing study work of your own, you're taking a group of mm-hmm. studies, grouping them together and looking at what, if you group them together, do you get any different uh, information. Now meta-analysis studies are great because sometimes it says, well, this study and this study and if you put them together, you know, then you've got an interesting thing. But sometimes it's a reach because you're asking the, the research to do something that the researchers didn't intend it to do. So mm-hmm. you have gotta be careful with a meta-analysis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they took two, there's two different, this article is about two different meta-analysis studies one where they were looking at a wide variety of different um, therapies, including things like the Denver Early Start Model, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a a, a bunch of different things, um, but not just pure ABA. Right. So a bunch of different things, but not, and even things that you might use in conjunction with ABA, but not pure ABA. And they looked at those things. And what the meta-analysis found is not that those things aren't effective, but that the research done on them wasn't ro- what they call robust. Right. That there wasn't enough data about things in order to draw a clear um, conclusion. So that's what the thin evidence is. The study wasn't robust enough. Not the evidence, the, the, the parameters of the study. The other meta-analysis that they were looking at was for PRT, pivotal response therapy, which is something that you can use in conjunction with ABA, mm-hmm. but is it, on its own it's not ABA, it's just like a tool that you can use in a method that you can use within ABA. Um, and same thing, um, they, they expected to find that it was wildly effective, but what they found was that the study wasn't robust enough and they didn't look at enough of the right things. So none of the studies were conclusive mm-hmm. and none of them were looking at these single um, biggest uh, early therapy that is done, the one that insurance pays for, which is ABA. So I, I, I'm going to call foul on this title. Okay. Um, Fair enough. But this isn't. This isn't. It, it didn't find thin evidence for early autism therapies. Uh, it, it found that you're, they're not doing research effectively for things that are in addition to ABA that are considered early therapy.
1: Right. Right. That's what the so ABA is. Yeah, ABA is not in this article. They didn't look article. at ABA. No, they didn't. They didn't and then a speech language pathologist that was quoted in the article says, uh, "An individualized approach that uses evidence based methods is probably best."
2: Right. Right. Well, and most and of the ABA evidence is evidence based. ABA, which, right. is, which is why insurance pays for it. Yes. So, Um, But even if you're looking at some of those other therapies, like a speech and language pathologist approach, like the Denver Early Start model, Mm -hmm. which uses elements of ABA, even if you were interested in those things, you couldn't conclusively rule out that they're effective from these studies. So there you go. How useful is that to us? However, um, there's another study out that um, claims that one in four children with autism is undiagnosed. Which is
1: horrifying.
2: It is horrifying. And worse than that is that it says that there's a particular uh, group of people that are more likely to be undiagnosed, and da-da-da-da, share with us. Black
1: or Hispanic, most of the kids, and this is from Autism Research, Um, and about one in every four eight-year-olds assessed in the study was found to have undiagnosed autism. And wasn't receiving any services. Yeah.
2: Well, and look, um, I, I think it's this is probably very accurate. One in four. It might even be worse than that. Right. Because we see on a daily basis how many people write into us and go, you know, my child is seven or eight. And, you know, I remember me saying something to the pediatrician at three, and they said, no, and you and I have been through the, ex- uh, the experience of taking our child at least once right. to uh, a, a credible pediatrician and saying, I feel like something is wrong. And they told both of us, no. No, no. nothing's
1: wrong. Nothing's or wrong. Or misdiagnosed, in Wyatt's case, pervas- pervasive developmental disorder, when he clearly was firmly on the autism spectrum. But it
2: didn't, and didn't even that take you a while to get the PDD-NOS? Oh, yeah. Like the first time around, I, I know for Jem, and I was like, I'm concerned. He's lost words. And that pediatrician should have been like, well, we need to rule everything out, including mm-hmm. strokes. Right? But she was like, he's fine. Right. You're being overreactive. Right. You late-in-life mothers. Mm-hmm. I had you know? got the same thing. So And, and we are two very pushy... White women right. with a great command of the English language who aren't worried about our green card, who, like, feel very entitled to argue with a doctor. Mm-hmm. And it took us a while. So, so you can imagine me,
1: the the average person. Yeah,
2: right. It, like, it's horrifying to think about. Um, so there you go. Um, and then uh, our uh, great article um, that was on The Hill. You guys familiar with the thehill.com, which... Um, Uh, is is all about things that are happening in Washington, D.C., and I thought it was interesting because you don't often see much about autism on the Hill. No, you don't. And so they had an article this week that said what autism researchers and advocates want for people on the spectrum, and I thought, well, I want to know what the Hill thinks that, um, a, you, goes that autism advocates um, uh, want, and I thought it was uh, pretty interesting, so you can go and read it on the Hill. Well, yeah,
1: and by, did you hear that um, Democratic Joshua Collins would be the first openly yes.
2: autistic member if elected for Congress? Yes, he's running for Congress. In fact, we have reached out to his office to see if he would like to be on the show. We would love to have him on here. Uh, no, I think that would be truly wonderful. But one of the things that I thought was interesting, a good takeaway from this article is, um, at one one point they spoke to Wendy Ross. She's a developmental pediatrician and director of the Center for Autism and Neurodiversity at Jefferson Health. Uh, CNN uh, said that uh, she, they they labeled her a CNN hero in 2014. Um, And her center has been working, like a lot of places, on something called universal design. And universal design is meant to make spaces and Uh, whether it's education or medical facilities, it's supposed to be so that anyone can walk in the door and be able to access, whether you're a person on the spectrum, whether you're blind, whether you're deaf, whether you have a physical disability, Um, because we all get a little ableist, don't we? Yes. Um, and so, um, that's one of the things that they've been doing and and in particular, I love that, um, they're trying to train their people. She says, what we are aiming to do in the, in the hospital is create a universal design that would benefit not only people with ASD, but everyone, including people with mental health issues. They're also working to train all types of medical staff on recognizing ASD and familiarizing them with the symptoms. And that's not so that they can diagnose people. It's so that when they're treating someone, someone comes in the door and says, you know, I need help or is signing or whatever for them to be able to recognize, okay, I'm, this might be a person Who and be looking for that. Right, right. I know I still don't necessarily look for that, Mm -hmm. right? I always tell the story of being at Disneyland when Jem was little, and you know, we were well into therapy and you know, and and I well knew what autism was. And there was a little boy who went darting past us in one of the shops out in the in the Disney walk outside. Mm And, um, and I'm always on the alert. My mother raised me, if there's a kid on their own, to identify and go lost child, you know, call over people to help, stay with the child, and I did. I said to my husband, get somebody. I'm going to stay and take Jem with you, and I'm going to stay with this kid, and I followed him. And and he hid underneath a clothes rack, and I went up to him, and I said, hey, honey, are you lost? Are you here with somebody? And he like said nothing uh-huh. and, and hid his face. And then, then at a certain point, I asked him another question, and he started signing. And I was like, "Oh, he's deaf, right?" Right. Um, but he wasn't making eye contact. And the worker came over, and I said, "You know, do you have anybody who can sign? I only know a couple of signs, but apparently he's deaf, uh-huh. right?" And I'm and I'm telling everybody he's deaf, he's deaf, uh-huh. right? like all these things. Well, here comes mom, and she's like, "He's not deaf. He has he's not he verbal, autism. and he has autism." And I. And she looks at me like, you know nothing. And, of course, I wasn't going to sit there and go, well, here, meet my child. Right. Because I felt like an idiot. Right. Right? It never occurred to me. Right. Never even occurred to me. And I thought, boy, if it's not occurring to me, who else is it occurring right. to? Right, right. So I love this. The article goes on to talk about some of the ways that they've tried to make public places um, more accessible. Um, so it's a good read. Uh, check it out. The yeah. Hill.
1: She also says we don't have a medical system that's prepared to serve everyone with autism that is now being diagnosed. Yeah. Well, anybody anybody diagnosed. who has
2: a kiddo on the spectrum of any age who's been to an emergency room, we're all well aware of that, right, right? Right, I mean, that is just the truth. Yeah. So good on her for recognizing it and trying to do something about it. Um, so that is in The Hill. Okay. But we've got a wonderful guest, so Christina we're Adams. We're going to take a Can break and come back yes. to Christina Adams. That's right. So okay. stick with us.
0: Neurodiversity in parents. One big happy family? We hope so. Anyway, what is neurodiversity? Everybody's talking a lot about it these days. Neurodiversity means that there's a view that people with autism just have a different way of being, and they should be honored for that. And then parents oftentimes look at autism as a disability or a disorder, and that can create some conflict. We sometimes throw up our hands. Neurodiversity or neurodiversity? There can actually be some issues around this that we need to think about together. First of all, neurodiversity could be positive because it can create more of a kind of a sense of acceptance in society. Yes, these people have autism, they're just different. It could possibly help create a sense of self-esteem that's improved in people with autism. They just realize, okay, I'm not damaged, I'm not bad, whatever, I'm just different. So that could be useful. Um, on the downside, it could be an excuse to not give services to people with autism to not have much empathy for their parents, and to not look at ways that they can be helped. And in many people that have autism, they do very well. Other people do not do well at all. They can't access services. They cannot enjoy their life. They're in pain. So it is important that we understand it's not just one issue. So how do we solve this when we look at neurodiversity? I think we have to look at it this way. It's kind of like when you have that big family dinner at Thanksgiving and everybody's around the table. You got your uncle, your aunt, your kids, your parents. Everyone has an opinion. It doesn't necessarily mesh. And I think the way that we need to think about this is we need to respect each other's opinion because actually we need each other. We need to be allies on this. The outside world is a big place for people with autism spectrum disorders and their families we have to remember we're one big happy dysfunctional family and we need to behave that way we should respect each other listen to each other and we will all have a great time when it comes time to get together and celebrate the lives of people with autism
1: and we're back and as promised and you just saw her actually yes, the on is- autism and beyond uh we're back with christina adams hi christina Hey, Nancy and Shannon.
2: We're so thrilled to have you back. We were saying before that you have been a guiding light for so many of us, um, that you are an incredible, uh, we consider you a friend, and you're an incredible woman, an incredible advocate in the autism community. We loved your first book, A Real Boy. We love your current book, Camel Crazy. Um, and so we're thrilled to have you back on the show with us uh, to talk about this new book. The, you, this book is tearing it up and it should be. Um, this You re, re, receive so many accolades with it. I understand, is it, uh, what Harvard said that it's a must read? Tell us because I can't remember, but it's like so many people have been raving about this book.
0: Well, that's very nice. Um, I wouldn't, um, the Harvard books, the Harvard co-op bookstore has it, which I find wonderful but it's on their shelves. Um, I'd like to contrast that with the Slab City and eccentric artist type of place out in the California desert. They also have it in their library in a, in a trailer in the desert so uh, we're very accessible with uh, Camel Crazy.
2: And who was uh, it was it Barnes and Noble that has it in their must read fiction section? Must read
0: non-fiction. non-fiction. Yes I, of course, non-fiction, I, I'm 100%. very glad to see it on that table you know every author wants to be on that table up front when you walk into the door and And I was just lucky that it was there. So, um, yeah, the camels are just uh, stampeding. It's been on um, the Public Library of Science blog, the DNA Genetics blog. that was featured on that. And um, that was really great to see. It's also just been selected as a um, Southern California Science Writers Book Club selection. And I'll do their podcast as well.
1: Great. Let's talk a little bit about your journey. Um, First, let's talk about A Real Boy and what that book was about.
0: Well, The Real Boy was, um, it's its actually the first book, if you want to call this a set, uh, Camel Crazy is a sequel to A Real Boy. Both of them are standalone books, but if you read them, uh, first A Real Boy and then Camel Crazy, you get the, the whole picture. So, as we all were before we came into the autism world, we're just minding our own business, doing our thing in life, and then you get put into the autism world if you want to help your child. And so, that I had been a professional writer in my life, and... So I just turned all those skills into um, kind of living the autism story, processing the autism story as far as being a parent of a small person with autism, and realizing what was going on in that world, which was both great and not so great. So I wanted to tell that story because at that time when A Real Boy came out, there was no book that like told the whole story. There were really good influential books that told you know more about the diet piece or more about the behavioral piece, but I didn't find it was one that told that whole you know uh, uh, emotional and uh, interventional story. So I wrote that book, A Real Boy: A True Story of Autism, Early Intervention, and Recovery. So after that book came out, um, which it did, um, you know we got a lot of good coverage in the Washington Post and did several printings and and people are still buying it so that's wonderful but then i was just minding my own business uh back to doing that you know because we like to do um keep our personalities and interests alive despite uh you know dealing with autism all the time as parents so i was at a children's book festival and uh, met a guy with a camel and that's what led to the new one camel crazy a quest for miracles in the mysterious world of camels sweet
2: i was just going to say one of the things that i love about you as a writer is that you're a brilliant writer, and you, I mean, there. Are, let's face it, there are lots of books about moms' journeys with autism, right? But and and you know, it's like chapter one, mm-hmm. and then we go through you know this thing, and we get this. Ex, and there are good books. I like. I don't mean to disparage, but uh, with your book, it's like it's like a, a car pulls up, and somebody opens the door and says, "Come on, I'm going to take you on a journey." And you get to go on. I said, I, you know, I read your book and I was like, I want to know this woman because mm-hmm. I feel like I already do. And you take us on a journey where I don't feel like I'm reading something that's educating me, but it is. Mm-hmm. It's edu- like you just have a way of, of taking us with you that is so beautiful. You are a wordsmith. Um, you just dive into the book and you feel like you're on this ride together with somebody and that you're going to end up in a place where you didn't expect to be, but that you're richer for it. And mm-hmm. certainly that was true in A Real Boy and certainly that is true in Camel Crazy. And, and, but then all the information that you give us on top of that journey, uh, it just adds to the depth of, of how you write. Thank you. Thank
0: you. That's that's a great summation i really appreciate that because it is what i like to try to do and you know uh, as a memoirist when you write memoir you are sharing your own story to illuminate what that is like for other people either who are living similar stories or who have never never going to live a story like yours but they're nonetheless you know want to find out what it's like but then because these things are so um that we're doing you know that i'm facing with you know, autism and and our community is, there's so much information. And in my past career I did deal with information and translating that to audiences that didn't have time to read a big thick thing on you know, aircraft or um, a weapon system or whatever, a policy that I used to do when I worked at the Pentagon. But you know, you can distill that into little nuggets. So I guess I got that skill and I just wanna, you know, I like to dig into information and shake it and see what the big picture is for that information. We don't need to know tiny, tiny details of everything. We need to process that and figure out what that means. So I'm doing that, you know, for you hopefully.
1: Well, it's amazing. Yes, it is. It's very um, moving and you feel like you're there alongside you in your journey. So you told us you met your first camel, what happened after that
0: well I looked at that camel and I said hey well I'm really really bored and uh, my son is reading books he's fine he's age 7 at that time and so I was about also to become a single mom and uh, that was a very precarious scary time because you know that's what you're afraid of as a mom uh, being alone with your child and not having the help that you need for both of you to sometimes actually just survive so I just saw that
2: I took a look yeah. at it
0: and I saw a guy that had soap and lotion that he was selling from camel milk and I said well what else did they do with that milk and I probably should have never asked that but that's what I get for being nosy. Uh, curiosity killed the camel as they say. Um, so he said that it was given to premature infants in hospitals in the Middle East and it was thought to be non-allergenic and might be close to human breast milk and boom that was when I had my light bulb moment and I thought this milk might help my son's autism symptoms and B might also uh, be a great dairy substitute for people like him that can't have other milks. Um, For him, dairy from a cow, and though it didn't work either, would make him hand flap and toe walk and he literally said it feels like there's dirt in my brain once he got good enough um, at speaking to say that. And so all the other milks too, those vegan milks would all set off allergies. And so uh, we were down to potato milk And so I was still always wanting an animal milk because that helps build bone strength better, which now is actually worn out by a study. Um, So, boom, I have to stick my nose into that world, and I just became obsessed, and it's been a 14-year rabbit hole journey, and that has led me from America um, to other countries, and I've met the most amazing people in this journey, and I'm just so lucky that they wanted me to, you know, share their their culture and their value, uh, love their healing traditions with the world. And so, yeah, let's go on a journey because, you know, we we have a lot on our plates as parents, but we still want to, to learn and, and to, we have value to the world ourselves. I think sometimes we forget that. I mean, I used to think I didn't matter at all. Everything was about my son and getting him better and getting him progress and getting him where he could be. And if he wasn't gonna make progress, you know, that's how it is. You just have to make them happy and successful as they can be. So I didn't matter for years. So I felt like, finally, you know, I want to at least have a life a little bit of my own. Um, and so that really helped. You know, when you're, when you're trying to help others, and if you can find something in that for yourself, too, and to still create a community that you can be part of and other people can be part of, that's what I feel like I've done with these two books. And um, I'm really appreciative that I've been welcomed by a lot of people.
2: It makes me emotional because to hear you say that you didn't feel like you mattered, and yet your book changed my life. And like forever, it changed my life, the first one and the second one as well. I, you know, I, I just think um, it's a lesson for all of us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about, um, you know, that you are somebody who follows your passions and follows your instincts. And I learn from that all the time quite frankly, um, Christina, that, you know, because I don't think there are very many moms who would have been at the bookstore and been like, you know, been at the book fair and been like, oh, there's a camel, so I guess I'm going to uh, dive. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we might have Googled it. Right. But the rest of us would not end up, you know, in a, in a tent with uh, Bedouins. Bedouins, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, I did Google it. There was zero. So, um, you know, leave it
0: to me to, to have to create my own, uh, you know, support my own scientific theory Uh so whatever it just happens, you know. But you're an if you
1: adventurous find soul,
2: though. Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: T- tell us what actually happened once you discovered the camel milk with your son and with others on the spectrum. What effect did the camel milk have?
0: Well, it had for my son. He was sort of I like to say he's almost like patient zero in some ways. Now, I did have that idea. I went home. There was nothing on the internet about autism or anything. Just weird articles about making cheese and how hard it was and stuff. Um, and so i didn't give up though so i kept researching and then a few months later i found that there was an article by dr Ruben yagil and another um doc, uh, doctor medical a science professional and they had given camel milk to some kids with autism in israel and they got better so it was kind of a short term article but that just showed to me showed me i was on the right path so that's when i had to kind of smuggle it in with you know medical uh, support uh, from bedouins in the um israel Palestine, the area of the Middle East. And I gave it to my son, and he got incredibly better overnight, like shocking, on four ounces of chamomile. So after that, it just threw me you know, into this whole um, investigation mode, which I went into before I gave it to him. So I'd done my due diligence as far as science went, kind of made the theory on why it might help. It worked beyond my wildest dreams. So after that, I just kind of became a camel milk investigator. But in 2012, I wrote an article called Got, "Got Camel Milk," and it went viral, and it just really helped kick off the whole movement and industry around the world. So in 2013, I wrote a science article, which I talked about before on Autism Live. That's now been cited maybe about 13 times. So that kind of got a lot of citations, as we know now. And now thousands and thousands and thousands of kids and adults with various medical conditions are using camel milk. And so it's amazing, it's global, around the world. Um, in the America, the thing where my son is kind of patient zero, um, I did get milk in America when they started milking camels around 2011. And I gave it to him and he showed the same response as he did from the Middle Eastern camel milk. So that showed, like he was, he was probably the first person to do that with autism. It showed that it wasn't just like the milk from this one country or the breed of camel from this one country. It was the camel itself in two different environments had the same effect. So that was what was the confirming uh, thing that I needed to do to kind of go public and, and help drive this forward.
2: But mm-hmm. but just for the viewers at home, you do they, they really need to read the book because you do talk a little bit about, in the book about how there's a certain amount that's the right amount and too much is is not a good thing this is not a like you know drown in camel milk sort of thing correct Um, well I would say you should bathe in it like
0: Cleopatra if you get the chance because it's excellent for skin but (laughs) as far as drowning in it no Um, uh, so no I do answer all the questions because I know what people want because I hear from you know hundreds and hundreds of people you know all the time so um, I I I wrote the story, and there's incredible people in it, incredible photos in it, so I'd love people to enjoy that. But in the back is a user's guide. And so it's got, um, where do I get it? A complete global source list of where to order. It has all the health conditions it helps for. I mean, there are more, but I included the basics, which is autism, diabetes type one and two, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, uh, between rounds of chemotherapy, uh food allergies gut disorders there's all kinds of things that it works for so um i do have a chart in the back on how much suggested serving amounts are um for each disorder and then also um ways to use it you know how do i thaw it out like just for fun here i'm thawing out my camel milk right now so you can just take a frozen bottle and set it in cool water uh to kind of chill and then one of the readers in another country said hey I, I read your book and then I saw the actual camel milk you described so I was glad that my description of this camel milk actually rang true when she saw it in the store so you can get it all kinds of places now you can get it on the internet you can get it everywhere but I have lists in the back so um, it's easy like I've got everything in camel crazy that you pretty much want to know about this topic.
1: Okay, How does it taste Christina?
0: Uh, that's the number one question and the number one answer is after
2: people drink it is oh it just tastes like milk okay. it's a little creamier though I think isn't it or is that just well, me well it's all kind of different so
0: I you know just showed you the um, the uh, raw fresh milk you know from the camel mm-hmm. you can get it and um, that that is like to me when you get just like a nice clean batch that's so perfect and it's just like that it just tastes like any milk basically only I feel that it's a little um, more similar to cow than goat in taste Um, but then if you get powder you know or other kinds it tastes a little bit different Um, if you get from different farms it can taste different I say it's kind of like a fine cheese you know how they differ from each other they're all cheese but some taste a little bit different
2: Mm -hmm. amazing so uh, where all can we get the book?
0: Well, the book is available anywhere you can get books. So, um, of course, Barnes & Noble, um, any other bookstore, independent bookstores, which I love. um, Independent bookstores have been great at featuring it. And uh, go to any store. Either they will have it or they can order it for you. Also, Amazon.com in any country where it operates can get it to you. Um, Any, um, let's see, if you want a signed copy, write to me, and I can uh, send you a book plate or a signed copy. And then, of course, for our international buyers, it's uh, Bookdepository.com. But if you go on my website, ChristinaAdamsAuthor.com, all the places you just have push a button, it'll it'll tell you where your independent bookstore is, or your Amazon, or you, whatever you want to do. So
1: wonderful! We highly recommend highly recommend it. And also, your first book, A Real Boy, read Absolutely. them if you haven't read that. You can read the two of these books; they go they go together and uh, document Christina's journey
2: amazing amazing Thank so we you. want to take a little bit of a break but then if you still have time we'd like to come back there was a, a story that you uh brought to our attention yesterday that we'd like to have you talk to our viewers, viewers about uh do you Absolutely. have time yes i do okay, okay. we will gonna back take a break then. and we'll be right back
1: and we're back with christina adams author of um a real boy and camel crazy and we've been hearing about her journey in the world of autism and now she has another story that she wants to talk to us about thanks for coming back christina
2: over the years uh christina has shared with us sometimes i mean you're a wonderful advocate for the autism community and um there are there are different things that come up that you you're a leader and you say look this is wrong and um Maybe we want to do something about it. And a lot of people listen to you. So uh, you talked to me yesterday about a a story. Tell the folks at home about this story.
0: I just saw this uh, little news item yesterday, and it looks like it took place in uh, Metairie, Louisiana. Not that I'm saying that correctly. Uh, But this 16-year-old boy, he was severely autistic. He likes to visit this... um, like place where they do games and things like that. And he and his father were regular visitors there. They felt welcome there. Um, and so you know how that is. When you find a place where you, that kind of child is welcomed and everybody understands him and cares for him, I mean, that's a rare thing, and that's wonderful. But the child was pretty is pretty was pretty severely affected by autism. He's a big child, too, 16, very large, from the you know the video they showed on the news. And so he was having, I guess, a temper tantrum, and an outburst and he was slapping his father they were out in the parking lot and he was slapping his father on the head um, based on what the clip showed that was taken by a bystander and so the father you know was trying to protect himself but the the boy was slapping him really hard on the head but um, police were called and anyway uh, the policemen end up taking him down to the ground the boy and then you can kind of see where they get on top of him he's face down and he's a very full chested guy the the child is and then the police is the policeman looks pretty large too and he had you know vests on and stuff so they're on top of them and the kids face is down on the ground and um you know it looks like they also do something really hard to the back of the kid's head i can't see what what they did actually but it looked very hard and um then there was another officer there so anyway the child was then taken away and he's dead yeah
1: he's so dead. It's, uh...
0: You know, right now, then they even said yesterday that the police wouldn't uh, make a statement to the local media until the autopsy report came back. But that child is dead. And so now we have a situation where, um, you know, it's just a big ball. So, A, nobody, it's very hard to get funding for an aide to come with a family, to be with a child like that all the time.
2: Yeah.
0: So that that doesn't happen all the time unless you really uh, make it happen. I do know uh, young adult men in California or teenagers where they do have, have to have like two male aides with them all the time. Um, so it does happen, but it must it's impossibly difficult to do that in most places. I don't know if this family ever even asked for it. But second of all, you don't have that because of the funding situation or what have you. And then, you know, you get the police come. Not only do they take this child's life, probably. I mean, look, they say there's maybe there's an underlying medical condition, but a lot of our people with autism have underlying medical conditions. You know, getting them down on the ground, doing whatever that was, and, and sitting on them like that, um, I mean, it seems like there could be a better way. I mean, we know that there are de-escalation techniques that you can do use with people with autism and mental illness. It's just that they aren't deployed very often. So, I don't believe that that had to happen. And now, we're probably going to have a lawsuit, probably going to have, you know, a big settlement for the loss of this child's um, life, and all that money could have been used in a positive way. We just traditionally don't do things proactively in this country, or probably a lot of countries, you know, it's limited what they'll do proactively. But I just feel it's like a terrible thing. Like, also out here near me in California, uh, the I think he had autism, developmentally disabled young man with his parents in a Costco, and um, There's dispute about what happened, but a police officer shot him, and it wasn't even a police officer, it was on duty at that location, and he's dead. So, I mean, and the parents were yelling, don't, 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 you know. What do we have to do to save our young people with autism from this kind of force? And I respect the police force tremendously. This is not a negative on them. I'm sure they feel very stressed by being in this situation, so I'd love to see more support for them, but also it's gotta be on the developmental disability support side. When parents say they need help, they need to be given help. Um, That way everybody could be safer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we see a a lot of these cases unfortunately, and it just points out the need for police officers to be trained, have sensitivity training to this, um, because they oftentimes don't know the signs and and react not in in the correct way in dealing with somebody with autism.
0: Yeah. yeah, a lot of them are terrific too. They really want to. I was at a police event in Huntington Beach a couple of years ago, and they had had some training recently. It, they were at an autism awareness event, and they were just terrific. So it can be done. And there's also a specialist, uh, his name is Dennis DeBott, and he does go around and train police departments, and he is the father of a son with autism. So there is precedent. It can happen. We
2: um, have him I, on the show. And we've had Emily Island Emily on the Island show. Emily Island has a program. Who with has her a program? Son, uh, Tom Island, they right. have a program. Um, I, there are programs. The issue that I hear from Emily is that um, a lot of times, first of all, there's the, you know, the, you first have to get the police uh, department to see that it's something that would be worthwhile mm-hmm, and, would, mm-hmm. you know, that the time and the energy will save them money, right? Because that's always a hard thing to take people. Off, you know off the jobs that they're doing right. and say we're putting you in a classroom for the day that it's worthwhile but that that seems to be doable that they can get them to do that but there's a high rate of turnover in police departments they mm-hmm. they transfer they move they leave the job whatever and so getting police departments to do it on a regular basis right. is like the new hard thing so uh, I think thats the, that what solves that is community pressure I think that you know having a relationship with your police uh, police department is important. I When when Jem was growing up, we lived in the same community as Emily Island, so all of the work had been done for me. Mm-hmm. So please know that I'm speaking from a position of having lucked out. Mm. But Emily had worked with uh, her local police department um, and had events and things like that, but I remember uh, a time when uh, they wanted me to teach my son a card. They wanted him to learn the lessons of different uh, like what, what are first responders mm-hmm. and they suggested that I call my local police department and, and fire department and ask, can we come over from a, for a tour mm-hmm. and they were thrilled to do. I think part of that is cause Emily, Island had done legwork first. Yes. But I think that if she could do it, we could all do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and starting that relationship with your police department so that then they know you and you can make recommendations and say, when are you having an event? But start with your kid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's helpful, and 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 honestly, it's heartbreaking to me because while I do feel that there are some people on the police force who should not be on the police force, I think we can all agree on that. I think that a lot of people, their intentions are good. Yeah. And I don't. I don't think. I mean, if I thought that the intentions of those police officers walking up to that that young man hitting his dad, if their intention was to kill him, I, I'd have to go to bed forever. I couldn't get up, right? right? I'm sure I don't, it wasn't their intention. I don't intention. think it was their intention. Um, but what they don't know is that you and I, if we were forced to the ground, it would be hard for us to breathe, but we would know behavior to do mm-hmm. to make it so that we could breathe. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that people with Down syndrome and autism often are barrel chested. Mm-hmm. You put them face down and they don't know how to help themselves and they asphyxiate without being hit. Mm-hmm. And and we there was the case of the young man outside the movie theater with yes. Down syndrome that this yes. happened to as well. And I think that somebody at the very least has to educate the police about some people don't know the behavior right. of turning your head to the side. Yeah, because
1: unfortunately these are not isolated incidents. No. They seem to come up, crop up every so often.
2: And and that's right. And this will probably yeah. haunt those police officers. Yeah, yeah I,
1: I yeah. think as you said, the police officers are well intentioned, they just don't have the training and they don't understand
2: well it,
0: it's traumatic for them too and I will note of course people of color have been dealing with this for a long time and when you take a person of color who also has a developmental disability mm-hmm. I mean the risk rate is you know risk goes up even more so yeah there are a lot of issues that we would all love to see addressed and I'm sure that the police forces would like to see this addressed too
2: yeah but I think it's driven by parents and I everything, everything is right right and I, and I love that you said let's speak out about this today because I think it's important that we do and 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 both of you have series on autism live that are about empowering yes. parents. And and I know that that's something that both of you feel very strongly mm-hmm. about as do I. And so we want to empower those of you who are watching don't sit by and wait. Do no. something to help your start with your Mm -hmm. child to help your child to know how to behave you can do be safe the movie Mm -hmm. which is Emily Island's thing and start with just your child which teaches them how to behave when they're around the police talk to your police department we we need to make more happen
0: well when my son was young and you know he always uh, nice kid and everything like that but you know sometimes he I just was always worried like what if he did something impulsive or he got caught with a couple friends doing something so I always told him a, immediately do what the police officer says right away, but B, tell them that you want an attorney and then call your mom. There you mm-hmm. go.
2: That's mm-hmm. funny. I always told Jen to say, my mom has an attorney. Mm. Okay, good, <laughs> oh. good I thought. Wrong. Okay. But that wasn't for police. That was like at school. Right. I, my, mom, my mom has My mom, mom has a lawyer is what I told him <laughs> to say. My mom has go. a lawyer. And he, yeah, like, really that was one of the first about... phrases we drilled. Really? My mom has a lawyer. That's a good well, one. Well, you know, there was stuff. That's what Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not, not what you want to raise your child to say. Right. right? Uh, But yeah. Uh, Love that. Well, Christina, we appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I know you've been on like the media tour of all time, shaking it up. And, and it's uh, definitely, I'm glad that you are because people need to know about this book. So go out and get Get Camel Crazy. Yes. You'll go crazy for it. You will. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Thank you you you. so much, Christina. Thank you, Christina. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 Uh, and we're just about out of time. Yes. But uh, thrilled that my friend is back here. And It's good to be back here with you. We're we're going to be back next week. I'm supposed to read what's happening next week. Okay. But I have no idea what I did with it. Uh, I've given it away to the wolves. Uh, what did I do? it? I just... <laughs> Always, like it's uh, like every week, every show, this happens to me. Okay, on Monday, all right, you ready for this? We have uh, special education attorney Bonnie Yates is with us, and Paul Worthington uh, from Linda Mood Bell Learning Processes. Wyatt went through that? And he's the head of research and development, and they've they've been doing some really interesting things, especially for those of you who are interested in knowing about if your child has a language processing disorder. Mm-hmm. They've been doing a lot with that and with reading comprehension which a lot of us are concerned about. So that will be on Monday. On Tuesday, we have a best of. On Wednesday, we have Dr. Doreen Pichet with us in the studio. And I know I've said that to you before, mm-hmm. but I'm told that hard and fast we have her next Wednesday, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, we're going to keep you posted about who we have on Thursday because I don't have it here. Uh, and next week on Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, we have uh, one of our guests is going to be Leah Hirschfeld is going to be with us again. She fills us in on research and she's mm-hmm. got some really interesting research to help us to Great. understand. So. And then we will have another guest. I just don't know who it is yet. So all of that and more coming up next week. Have a great weekend. Until we see you next week, give your kiddos a hug from me. And give yourselves a hug from me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now.